Hey, super fans. Welcome to a very special No Responsibility podcast where we have a guest with us today. He is one of the co-designers of Marvel Champions. We have Michael Boggs. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, myself, as always, is always Angry Jay. Uh, with me is Tycho Sean. How are you doing, buddy? Excellent. How are you guys doing? And uh, Sugi, what's up with you? Uh, not too much. I uh, just got back from Nova, and I'm really excited to uh, talk about this very, very excellent game. Awesome. And uh, we are so excited, and we feel uh, very grateful that Michael actually reached out to us to join us on the show today. He actually listened to the very first episode and really quickly was like, hey, I want to uh, get involved with what you're doing. So we are uh, very grateful to have you on. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. My name is uh, Michael Boggs. Um, I work at Fantasy Flight. I'm one of the co-designers with uh, Caleb Grace uh, that works on the game. Uh, we actually designed and developed the game along with uh, Nate French. Um, I've been at Fantasy Flight for uh, coming up on three years here relatively soon in a couple months. Um, I've worked on Android Netrunner. I was lead on that. I have worked on Star Wars Destiny uh, with Lucas Litzinger and Jeremy Zwern. Um, I've worked on Keyforge, um, just kind of helped around with, with other things in the LCG department. So, um, yeah, I'm... I'm one of the designers of the game and and just kind of have been doing that for a while are you a uh a marvel fan just a, like a little bit more background oh yeah. yeah 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 absolutely i've always loved marvel um ever since i was little uh, I, I think spider-man has always been my favorite hero ever since i can remember <laughs> you preach um, to the choir man yeah man uh, spider-man is the best i just when i was really little i was like i think like four or five the cartoon was like all i would watch i love the spider-man cartoon which one uh, so, uh i whatever one i, I don't I, it's whatever one was like in the early 90s i only remember one of them i know they've come out with a couple since then but there was oh, so the fox I, kids one that might have been the one. It might have okay. been the one. It's kind of like the bulkier animation, kind of like the I don't know. It kind of almost looks like the, like the the old school of Batman cartoon, very oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. styles. Yeah, I used to love that Spider Man cartoon. I used to watch so much of that. Uh, loved the X Men cartoon. Um, loved pretty much everything Marvel for as long as I can remember. Uh, when I got into high school and stuff, I'd play all the Marvel video games and. Um, I, I was honestly never a huge comic reader, not because I didn't want to read the comics, but because my mom would just never buy them for me. Um, I was trying to convince her and she'd be like, no, you don't need that. Uh, but then by the time I got older and stuff, I was so enveloped in everything else Marvel that I just kind of got my Marvel kick through all that. But yeah, when I, when I found out that I'd be working on a, on a Marvel game, I was super, super excited. So uh, we're going to be interviewing Michael today and to just give a little bit of heads up uh, to newer listeners who either just, you know, have never like listened to an interview with a creator like this. Uh, we just want to let you know, uh, if we don't ask a question that seemed really obvious, there is honestly only so much that uh, Michael is able to say at this time. So if he wasn't able to give a uh, detailed question. Um, I mean, there's really just no fun in asking it. So if you're curious, like, why don't you ask, like, if Thanos is coming out or the X-Men or, you know, uh, what is the exact date and time that Ant-Man comes out? Because if you don't tell me, Michael, I'm just going to, like, say this game's trash and burn the podcast to the ground, you know, anything like that. Like, we, you know, we can't, you know, that's the honest truth. So... Um, you know, it's great to have Michael on. If we want to have him on again, you know, we have to uh, play by some rules. And that's just kind of an industry standard. Um, it's a privilege to have him. And we definitely want to uh, take advantage of uh, the ability to ask him the questions that we have. So, um, you know, believe us. We asked a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> you guys had some really, really good ones for sure. So uh, let's kick things off. Uh, Sean's got a strong one uh, to get us going. And I have a guess. So I'm curious uh, what Michael's going to say to this. So, so we're, ju we're just going to uh, lightning round pepper you with questions and just keep you off balance the whole time. <laughs> Bring <All right>. it. <laughs> uh, but Check your spider sense. One yeah. thing we, we love about the game is is uh, the way that the, the 
the design of the characters really encapsulates their their feel and the the whole you know Marvel universe uh, and all of the individual abilities and everything is all it's all there. And we know that that that, that that's a, a particular design challenge um, in that how you make all these heroes feel unique, how all the villains feel unique, but also follow what they are in the cartoons, the movies, the comic books. And so my question is, we've seen, you know, a certain number of villains uh, spoiled in the core and and uh, in the initial expansions. We've seen the, the core set uh, heroes and, we you know, we're going to get a, a cap preview here pretty soon. So we know that you're limited in what you can tell us. But my question is, is there an example of, of, for you in Marvel Universe of a hero or a villain that represents a particularly difficult design challenge, especially a, a hero or a villain that everybody is itching to see or knows a lot about yeah yeah i mean i i i think you could argue that every single hero and every single villain if you are if you're doing them justice and trying to get them to play in a way that actually feels like that character there's always going to be challenges involved uh but the one that really probably stands out to me black panther like we had the um the core of what we wanted Black Panther to do early on with getting his upgrades and doing the Wakanda forever, but just getting that to execute properly, making sure that um, it was a mechanic that was, you know, relatively easy to pick up, something that was fun to continuously do, that it took a lot of testing and a lot of um, kind of trial and error in a way. And I think that core always kind of stayed the same, but it was definitely a refinement process. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'd say he was probably the, the one that was uh, maybe... Maybe not the most challenging, but I definitely found his his challenge to be the most interesting. And and you really feel like you're satisfied with with how, where he landed, and and you feel like uh, the testing and the iterations kind of panned out to be what you were hoping he would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I personally love playing Black Panther because I think it is. I think a lot of people, when they play him, they'll draw up their Wakanda forevers and they'll fire them off as quickly as possible. And sometimes that's that's great to do. But I think one of the uh, more interesting strategies is waiting for when to fire off that, that Wakanda forever. Um, and also balancing that with how you sort of, uh, you know, pl- play down your upgrades, your, uh, your Black Panther uh, armor and claws and stuff. So um, just trying to get those two systems to work cohesively was really interesting and and in my opinion it, it came together i think he's a he's he, he has a very different play style than the other heroes and i and i think that um it kind of makes his his whole set kind of shine in a, in a special way in my mind uh well i guess since we're on the on the subject of black panther maybe we should take a moment here to ask one of our our questions um about his uh hero core cards in that um I don't know, Sugi. Do you want to do you want to pipe in here and and ask about the the uh, whether or not those cards are considered to be the same card or not? Yes. So I come from a Magic: The Gathering background, and um, there has been a question on my mind regarding the Wakanda Forever cards because there are uh, multiple variations on them due to the fact that they have different printed resources. So uh, there is a card called ancestral knowledge that allows you to choose up to three different cards in your discard pile and shuffle them into your deck uh do the different iterations of wakanda forever count as different cards so you have one with the energy resource one with the mental resource one with the wild uh are those the same card for the um, point of targeting with ancestral knowledge or can you put uh, one of each of those back into your deck we so we determine sort of card um uniqueness for lack of a better word not not unique cards but just whether a card is is an individual card we determine that by title so in the case of ancestral knowledge you'd only be able to pull back one wakanda forever okay oh, okay wow and that's what i figured because they have the same um number on the card so that there's a panther value like it's like uh, uh black panther one two three four five six seven um but they're all both they're all the card the same card number which i think is 45 so that makes sense but i just wanted to know because like there's been some give and take on that and it's really good to note for future play that uh the title is what determines if a card is um you know a multiple set or not so thank you so much i appreciate that he does have five, so you have a pretty good shot of still seeing them, and it's really versatile in 
good card either way to grab, you know, unique cards of anything. Like, recursion is strong in every game. So anyone who's disappointed by this answer, I think it actually doesn't slow Panther down in the slightest. So uh, Yeah, I'll actually say that there for a while we considered having it just pull back the Wakanda Forevers, but it just it was just too strong. So we ended up going the direction. And it also gives them a more interesting strategy, like when do you play that? What other cards do you pull back? It, it kind of creates this really cool dynamic moment. So, so uh, as I stated previously, I come from a magic background and a lot of traditional card games. At the start of your turn, you untap, upkeep, and draw. The thing that I found interesting while playing the game at Nova is that you draw at the end of the round, which inherently creates a much more interesting situation for players, uh, both who are experienced in traditional card games and who have never played any card game whatsoever. Um, can you tell us the story or reason behind why you decided to put your, you know, untap, you know, your readying and your draw step at the end of the turn? Uh, instead of the traditional way that most people are used to? Yeah, I think it really came from um, us wanting players to feel empowered. Uh, we, we found early on that, you know, if you're, if you're exhausted during the villain phase, the villain goes to attack you unless you have specific cards in your hand, unless you have allies that can block for you. Sometimes it just sort of felt like you were at the whim of whatever boost card was slipped up uh, and there wasn't a lot you could do to stop it. So we just sort of, we, we decided to, to make heroes ready at the end of their turn so that when you do get attacked, you have that chance, you have that opportunity to sort of stop the villain from what they're trying to do to you. And it just, it just makes you feel stronger. Um, and because we put the ready at the end of the turn, we decided just to couple everything together. We put the, the card, uh, discarding from your hand, the card draw, all of that stuff just to keep it contained. Um, but I, I think it mostly just came from wanting players to feel like they could do stuff to sort of step in the way of the villain and, and, and to just really feel like powerful heroes. And then to add on to that, since you clearly tested the game with the uh, untap upkeep draw at the start of the turn, was it a completely different experience? Was it similar? Like, how, how did that pan out? Because the way the game works now is really quite brilliant. Um, but I also know that, you know, as a designer and tester, you're probably trying multiple different ways to play the game. And uh, sometimes you get these interesting stories where the first iteration was not the final way the game was released. Yeah, I, I think that um, in my mind, it was so long ago. But from what I remember, um, when you were sort of readying up there at the beginning, it, it was kind of creating a situation where a lot of times you wouldn't want to use your base values. You wouldn't want to attack. You wouldn't want to thwart because you're like, oh, I'm starting to get low on health. I'm going to make sure that I'm ready for when the villain phase rolls around. And it just, it didn't make you feel as as powerful. It wasn't as exciting. Um, Brandon, now if you do defend, you are exhausted on your turn. But uh, generally speaking, there are um, ways to sort of play around that and, and kind of deal with that. Um, so and we just, we really felt it just made the, the action feel a little more visceral when you sort of had the opportunity to, to respond to what the villain was doing. And um, I think most of our, our play tests agreed with that. Cool. Very cool. I really appreciate how with this way you have the system now, so many games have systems where using magic as the most common example, you know, like summoning sickness or your stuff comes into play exhausted and to be honest, I'm exhausted of that mechanic because I just want to use the stuff that I'm playing. And it's, you know, it seems like that was a conscious decision in Marvel Champions where when you drop, you know, like Nick Fury into the scene, like he runs in and he does something. And then like you call in your friends and like they're here to help. They're not like, all right, I'm here, man, but it took me a while and I'm tired. You know, like that's not the narrative anymore. It's like you put on the powered gauntlet and you shoot Rhino in the face and like, and you just you just get going and you get to do the cool stuff the moment you play it. And I, I liked your use of the word visceral because that seems to be like, you know, like you can't wait around when, you know, Claw is like blowing stuff up and take your time. Like you have to make a decision this moment and you have to, you know, you have to fight. And I think that lends itself better to the like 
go all in, recharge. And also um, from just a mechanical standpoint, um, having having your whole hand drawn and then seeing the damage done by the villain gives you some time to sort of have an idea of like what you can do next. Because there's always that like indecision when you draw a card at the very start of your turn and you have this like new information overload that it's like you feel like you don't have time to strategize with it and drawing at the end of at the end of the round and then having the villain do its thing i think being able to prepare you and just have a better idea of like all right this is what i think i'm gonna do and he's probably gonna do that i think that uh allows itself to work better in a co-op situation than if it was like all right everyone draw okay what's happening and like i think that would cause a much more disparate sort of you know who's doing what than the way you have it now so i think this is a this is gonna play and feel really cool that's good that's good to hear yeah i i um that's actually a, a great point in that that is something I forgot to, to mention. I kind of forgot that we had had conversations about how it does make the game feel a little snappier and go a little quicker because you have that whole phase while you're sitting there watching the villain do their thing anyway. So if you can look at your cards and sort of prep for that next round, it just it's less information you have to parse that next time around, you know, if, if you were drawing at the beginning. And two, the way our resource system is, uh, discarding cards usually to, to, to pay for other things, um, being able to sort of draw those defensive cards right before the villain does their stuff, it sort of encourages you to play them. Like you don't necessarily want to hold those cards in your hand for that whole round. You want to be able to get the maximum effect, the maximum value out of them. So it just sort of, all of those ideas just sort of came back to that, that uh, our vision was one of empowerment. And I think almost every single decision that we made was, was with that at the center. One of the things that I think is really cool that you guys have chosen to do is uh, go with comic book art. And um, their comic influences seem to be a little stronger than compared to the MCU and you know other sources that players might be familiar with. But also focusing directly on the comic book art, I am curious how you guys uh, chose your artists and chose your pieces uh for you know what you're using like did you guys have any direct influence uh you know did you pick from sets or did marvel kind of more insist on using particular pieces and uh artists themselves like how did that come to yeah we've uh since the beginning we knew that we wanted the art to be more in line with the comics because you know the game is inspired by the comics um and so from the very beginning marvel has worked with us to to sort of help make that happen uh we have uh you know a wealth of um art that we can sort of find and, and and pick and include in the game that marvel has graciously let us use from from their uh their databases and, and archives and stuff um and a lot of the artists that we we chose were very much chosen because of the style that they they bring about um, and you know, just the, the way they represent the the Marvel world. Some of the artists, you know, have have uh, done Marvel comics themselves. So um, we really just collaborated with Marvel to to sort of make the game feel as as much in the comic books as, as possible. Can we expect uh, some cool alternate arts from some older pieces that comic book fans might be more familiar with, or anything like that? Uh, I think we're always talking about how to do things like that because we know people in, enjoy those types of things. I, I don't know um, any specifics, and, and I, I'm, I'm not really uh, sure, um, you know, what the, the future holds for certain. But um, I know it, the, those types of things are always things that, that we're discussing and, and, and thinking about. Seeing how Sugi is the only one who has actually played the game, uh, he got to try it out at Nova um, and played it a bunch with a bunch of different heroes, and I'm super jelly. Uh, but he got to see how, like, uh, and I'm not certain which modules were being used in the demos he did, but the module system is really intriguing to us. And how do you see the future of that working? Um, uh, is it going to be basically uh, a plug and play thing where you can use modules uh, to spice up different scenarios or uh, is 
is there basically a, a design strategy around um, uh, or the philosophy around the modules and, and how uh, you see players using them to enhance their uh, their uh, Marvel Champions experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that we've, um, in my opinion, I, I think that the modules are one of the most exciting things. I've always loved um, video games, for example, where, you know, you go into a dungeon this time and it's different from the time you went in it before. It's always changing. You always have to adapt to something. And I, I think the modules sort of offer that type of experience there. They, uh, I mean, any sort of scenario is going to have a level of replayability, the way the cards come up, the way the villain acts. But having those uh, module sets just amplifies that magnitudes. Um, so we've really tried to make sure that, that each of these modules kind of works um well and sort of gives a distinct feel to each villain um but it's one of those systems that we're always kind of thinking about and playing with how can we execute it in new and exciting ways what cool stuff can we do with it this time that we didn't do last time um and and i think that you know the reception that i've seen from players concerning the modules has been super positive uh people seem to be very excited for those the fact that they can play uh rhino you know when he has when he's sort of enacting a bomb scare they can play rhino when he's kind of decked out in ultron gear they can play rhino when he's flying on the back of green goblin goblin glider like all of that stuff adds these really cool exciting comic book moments um and i i from what i've seen people are really excited about it and i I know that i am too and as new modules come out you can then revisit old villains uh in a completely new way right oh yeah completely it adds adds basically infinite replayability like you can you can mix and match them pretty much however however you 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 feel is exciting and fun you answered my follow-up in a fun way where i was wondering like with goblin coming out soon if like his modules were kind of meant i mean they seem to be themed around him but like if i could have rhino on a glider like i'm happy all day like that's that's a terrifying sight. so i want to bring up a design concept and i don't know michael exactly what you guys call it over at ffg but Um, I've known in the common vernacular, it's something called weight, uh, where it's basically this idea that when you're creating a character, say the idea is you have a blank slate and let's say, you know, if you're just looking at the hero side of a character and they all started at zero, if you gave a character, you know, one thwart, that would be so much weight versus one attack would be higher and, the idea of this is like when you add up all their stats and all their abilities and their kits, you know, you want characters to have the same weight. This isn't the same thing as balance. They are related, but they aren't. Weight is kind of more like an overall feel while balance is more like game impact. And so um, Sudi's got a really good question for you, but just to, I just wanted to prep the listeners with like the idea that where he's coming from, while balance is an issue, um, I think like weight is a better way to contextualize where he's going to go with this. So take it away, Sugi. Yeah. So this question comes from a standard understanding of trading card games where uh, card draw is considered to be king. If you can draw more cards, you can see more options than your opponent. If I see 20 options and you see six I'm probably going to win, if not have a severe advantage, because I've seen more things. I have more tools in my toolbox. So after playing at Nova, I noticed that uh, Carol Danvers and Tony Stark, their kits have draw built right in as an action. You can just on demand say, okay, uh, as Tony Stark, I'm going to dig three, pick one, pitch two. Uh, Carol Danvers just, you know, on, on command, I want to draw a card. Uh, Spider-Man has the capacity to draw a card when attacked, but that doesn't happen all the time. And then Black Panther and She-Hulk don't have any draw built into their uh, hero hero or alter ego cards. So the question is, with that being said, how do you balance characters that can dig through their deck to get to the things they need faster versus characters that don't have that capacity? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's a very complicated process. Anytime that we're looking at a new hero, um, where we of course look at the the specific hero card and the ability and the stats like that, but we really think about the hero 
um, as sort of a, a set of their 15 hero cards that are in the deck and then their one hero card. So really 16 cards altogether. Um, and it's very much where we're, we're trying to create a system. We're trying to, to create um, these interactions that are sort of uh, self-sustaining and balancing. And, and typically we're measuring those systems versus the systems of other heroes it, it's not always a one-to-one comparison of you know i've got more card draw um and you have less card draw sometimes it's like yeah i can draw more cards and maybe i can uh, do big burst attacks but you are way more consistent at um you know defending damage and removing threat and taking care of minions and um it's it, it's a really it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a discussion that we're always having about every single hero and constantly revisiting all the time. And it's, uh, it's a really complicated process, um, and honestly, somewhat of a convoluted process. But I, I, I think really at its core, we're, we're just kind of looking at these, these, these entire systems, these packets, and just trying to gauge those against one another. Um, yeah, I, I think that's... That for Marvel at least, that's the only way to realistically. Okay, which is fair. Um, and then building on that, you specifically talked about empowering the player, and that is a real thing that happened at Nova. Like you, you just kind of felt like you're not you. You're the character in action. Um, when you're talking about designing the characters and empowering the player, um, are those two? kind of running linear together in the design process or does one kind of take precedence over the other if if you have to make a decision like you're looking at a character and you're like we have to do one or the other uh, how do you make such a difficult decision considering everything seems to be fairly well balanced everything seems to run really well and the game is difficult and fun at the same time which is really neat yeah i i think that um you know it's when it comes down to sort of defining that character's power set but also keeping you know the the player feeling like they're they're super strong um i think we tend to lean in the direction of of wanting the players to feel like they they are very capable that they can stand up to these larger than life villains um i honestly can't think of a situation off the top of my head where we've really run into an instance where it's like you know if we do this one thing it's going to make the players feel less empowered generally we always try to execute things in a way that um sort of it might give you interesting decisions but it's never going to sort of create a situation where you just feel like you can't do stuff or you feel like you're you're weak um it might make you you, you might be really like uh, I, I guess an example might be she hulk she hulk is not the best at thwarting but if you're using she hulk effectively um, a lot of threat that would say go on the the main scheme through like minions and stuff you can knock those minions out before they can even do anything so like we're trying ah. to basically give like multiple routes to success and <laughs> as long as each one of those kind of feels good then i think that's that's where we kind of consider the player being empowered you guys are sneaky i like that that is uh <laughs> that is that is not visually like you don't see that until you play the game but that makes after playing the game that makes so much sense i appreciate oh wow that like light bulbs are just going off oh my gosh <laughs> okay that's cool i'm really glad you brought up she hulk because she was going to be my example just to bring the weight thing around again was like she has a base three attack and that is that is enormous compared to the rest of the cast that she can come out swinging that hard and you know, one of the things that I noticed looking at her hero side is like her hero hand size is only four. And to me, that was like the trade-off you kind of had to make where it's like literally turn one, she can just pummel like most of the minions, at least that we've seen so far in the core game. Maybe not some of the nastier ones, like I think like Sandman's like a two four with tough, which he should be, like he's Sandman. But um but you know like any of like the little Hydra stooges, like she just like blinks and they fall over. And uh that's really cool. And I think just to give some again context to the listeners, like that is an example of what I kind of mean by weight. And again a lot of people are like isn't that balance? And I want to emphasize it's not, but they do kind of go hand in hand. So I hope everyone kind of has a better idea of what I was 
talking about now. So to preface this question, a lot of people may or may not understand how design works. So top-down design, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but top-down design is you start with a theme and then you attach a mechanic to it. And then uh, bottom to top design is you have a mechanic and you attach a theme to it. So uh, after talking to you and playing the game, um, there are multiple cards. I'm not going to ask about all of them, but there's multiple times I've played a card. I'm like, I just am really curious when you get a card. So let's say Spider-Man, for example, as well as Spider-Man. Um, are you guys approaching a card from uh, top-down design or from bottom-up design uh, generally? I know sometimes it changes based on a scenario or a situation, but uh, overall, which way do you design these cards? Uh, I would actually say that it, it, it tends to depend on which set that that card kind of belongs to. If it's a hero-specific card, I'd say 75 to 80% of the time, uh, we're kind of designing with theme in mind first. We we will determine this hero's power set. We'll determine you know what makes them capable and strong, what abilities they have, what items they have, and then we'll sort of design cards around that. Um, whereas like when you look at aspect cards, a lot of aspect cards we're trying to give players tools for certain situations and certain play styles. So a lot of aspect cards will come up with a really cool card ability. Um, and then we will find themes and art and titles and stuff that sort of fit around that. Um, and I, I would say that with each situation, it's about an 80-20 rule. For the heroes, 80% theme and then 20% where it's just like, I got this cool idea and I really want to make this work. Whereas with aspects, it's kind of the reverse. 80% mechanics and then 20% of the time you're like, oh, we really have this powerful thematic moment. Let's make this into a card. I like the way that you can uh, flexibly kind of swap because a lot of card games don't have that capacity you you have to stick with one or the other and it felt like that was the case with villains like they were very mechanical uh, and heroes are so thematic like you constantly feel like you are uh, you know flying through the skies iron man with carol uh, captain marvel and you're just shooting things while she hulks down on the ground punching stuff and it's like oh my gosh it's it's just f like oozing with this amazing theme at the same time like you said, empowering the players to feel like they are actively not only contributing to the success of the game, but um, building these stories that, you know, when people are walking away from the demo table, I could hear them telling their friends, yeah, I was uh, this character doing this thing. And they're like, what? I want to do that. Where do I go? And I was like, man, wow, this is really incredible. Like it's a thematic mechanical experience. It's just so fun that's that's good to hear I'm, I'm i'm really glad that you enjoyed it and you're hearing people are enjoying it and i actually want to say that i, I think it's interesting you you bring up villains because um villains are are very much they're, they're more they're a little more hybridized i think every single villain we look at them we say who's this character what are they trying to do what are their abilities what are their powers um but also every single scenario that you create you want to give players a new challenge, a new interesting thing that they have not run into before. So sort of finding a way to marry this like, hey, here's a cool new mechanic that we think fits really well with the villain. Uh, and then also like, here's these really cool story elements. Tying those two together is, it, it's a lot of fun um, from a design perspective, but I think it does sort of kind of create that that um, instance where villains do sort of feel sometimes a little more mechanical but i i think that's that's okay that's really what makes the each scenario different and exciting and unique i understand that you're a co-designer um and that you you probably have put, had your hand in almost every part of the core set um but is are there uh, either a hero or a villain or an aspect that like particularly has your fingerprints all over it or that you're particular that you are proud of the work that, that you personally did on it. So if people are enjoying a specific hero or struggling against a villain, they know who to uh, thank and or blame. <laughs> so for the core set, uh, myself, Nate French, and, and Caleb Grace, we sat down as a team for every single hero, every single villain. Um, I think every single card in the core box, we kind of put it together um, as, as, as a team. After the core set, though, um, Nate French, he's a very busy guy, very talented. He's uh, moved on to, to, to work on other things. Um, and myself and Caleb Grace are left as, as co-developers on the game. And we've sort of taken this... Um, we, we work together on everything, but we also tend to like leapfrog back and forth. I'll, I'll do a thing, I'll, and I'll kind of be 
the main developer on that thing, he'll do a thing, he'll be the main developer. So we're sort of um, both kind of leading the charge, but also helping the other one with what they're working on. Um, but out of all the things that we've announced, I'd say Miss Marvel was the one that I've had the biggest hand in. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm super excited for her. I can't, I can't wait to tell more information starts coming out about her because she was one of those characters. Like I had always heard about her and I had always heard great things about her, but I, I didn't really know anything about her myself and never read her comics. Uh, and so when we were sort of divvying up the, the workload, um, I was like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take a crack at her. I'll, I'll, I'll see what she's all about. So I started reading her comics automatically super fan like i yes. love miss marvel stuff <laughs> I, I was saying before that spider-man was always like my hero when i was little that might be contested by miss marvel now like miss marvel is just absolutely amazing I, I love her so much um and you know once i was able to sort of get into that mindset of like this this is who this character is uh and i you know i really care about this character um i really kind of sank a lot of my time and energy into sort of you know, making her, her kit feel like her and really giving her some some um, interesting and, and fun options and stuff. So do you get to like read the comics in all the archives from Marvel? Like, okay, we're going to design this X, Y, Z character. Oh, I don't know who that is. Okay, here's a bunch of comics. Read them. Like, is that how that works? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we have, we have a, a ton of information that we can use kind of at our disposal and and to, to really help us get into the, you know, most of the characters in Marvel I've, I've heard of them, a lot of them. I've, you know, experienced in one way or another, a TV show, video game, movie, um, or uh, the few comic books that I had seen through my lifetime. I never read nearly as many as, as, as Caleb Grace, but um, here and there, my friends might have a comic and I read them. Um, but, you know, once we started working on this, I knew that I really needed to play catch up compared to Caleb. Um, but we, we're, we've just been given this opportunity to have a lot of resources at our disposal so that when we do get to a character that maybe we're not the most familiar with or even a character we know a lot about, but we want to know more about, we can sort of dive right in. And I would guess that, that you're not going to be the first person that this game gets more into comic books. Um, I would say that probably anyone who's into LCGs and tries this out and is playing with, you know, your Miss Marvel hero doesn't know a lot about her might be just as likely to pick up some of those comic books that you like so much as well. Oh, that's completely our hope. And we've actually already seen that from people Uh, like, you know, they'll they'll put down an ally or something that they don't really have a lot of information about. Um, And then suddenly you hear later like, oh, yeah, I looked up that character and then I started reading their comic and it just it. These, I think these these moments in the game that sort of create this these like explosive um, um, kind of moments of excitement they have a tendency to be lasting and they have a tendency to tell these stories and people remember these stories and they want to sort of explore them more and and I, I think um, I, I, I think we're all hoping that it'll just pull in more people to the comics. Yeah, and I've noticed some murmurs in the community that a lot of people don't seem to really know who the Wrecking Crew are, and so I pose a <laughs> challenge to everyone who's like, I don't know, I'm kind of iffy about those guys, I haven't really heard about them. If only there were some resources that you could find to maybe uh, brush yourself up, you know, and maybe even just read a wiki article, guys, and just have an idea of like, who they are, like, sure they have kind of a goofy name but they're actually one of the scarier groups that um you know really mess up the avengers in a couple of their fights and battles i mean oh yeah Thor doesn't like fighting them and thor likes fighting anybody (laughs) so like you know if that doesn't get you going like wait maybe i'll give us another look at absorbing man like that dude is horrifying (laughs) um or the wrecker even he's got an asgardian imbued crowbar so oh, he yeah. can, the he, can he can parry Mjolnir. He can yeah. parry Mjolnir people. Like these dudes are serious. So if you're like snickering at them, like no, this is an encounter set that's actually pretty cool to start with. And I actually got really excited when you guys announced like Wrecking Crew is coming because their name is very fitting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, uh, that's been one of the most exciting things for the, the development team um, to sort of find these characters that are maybe a little lesser known because they don't have a movie, you know, presence or, or television show pre- presence, at least not a heavy one um, and sort of highlight them. I, I think that uh, maybe the first example of that was She-Hulk 
we decided in the core set that we wanted to have um, maybe a, a character in there that that really wasn't on the big screen that uh, maybe some people didn't know a lot about, but that had a really strong cult following because we wanted to show that this, and I guess we wanted to show that A, this game is very much about the comic books. That is our inspiration. And B, there is so much of the universe to explore. There's so many things and so many characters that we can draw upon. Um, and so we we try to really intersperse things of saying like, yeah, here's some iconic heroes that you're familiar with. You've got Spider-Man and, and Iron Man and, and Captain America coming out. Um, but at the same time, here are some maybe other characters that you can learn more about that are exciting in their own right. Just because they don't have a, a, a screen presence doesn't mean that they're not really cool characters. We're all absurdly appreciative of that. So thank you guys for taking those risks because we really think they're going to pay off. Oh yeah. And if, if going this direction and keep going the direction that you've outlined in this interview and from the, the spoilers and whatnot that we've seen and from the games that Sugi's got to play, I'm just really excited about all the rest of the those things that you were mentioning, those lesser known things that you can put into this game and we can all play with. It's I'm just like really excited about it. Oh yeah, it's the the sky's the limit, honestly. Like we could we we could we could do this for probably ever <laughs> if we wanted there are just so many things in the Marvel universe. So a, a reverse question, since you already talked about the heroes, uh did you know which villains you wanted when you started the core set since you said, you know, we wanted some known vi- known heroes. We got, you know, Iron Man, Spider-Man, you know, these are established characters within, you know, popular MCU franchises, you know, comic books, mugs, popsicles, so on and so forth. Uh was the same approach with the villains like oh okay you know we we want these right off the bat yeah yeah i i actually um if i remember correctly i think pretty much from one of our first uh meetings we 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 talked about um we we knew we wanted to have you know three three villains in the box in the corset uh we knew that we wanted it to you know a corset teaches people how to play the game so you need an introductory villain then you need sort of like a medium level villain and then you need like the 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 challenge the thing that you go after that you graduate to um and so i think that uh we i I don't actually remember why specifically but just like rhino when it was like introductory it was like let's just beat up rhino i think he's just a brawler he just hits things he's not super tricky or anything it's just it's just a fight um and i think we wanted that to just feel good and just sort of teach you like hey the the villain is is there for you to punch but he's going to hit back really hard after that we decided that we wanted sort of that um mid-level almost like a mastermind type person or somebody who like really schemes a lot and sort of creates these these plans that he's trying to achieve um and claw just seemed to fit that really well and then we uh decided that for our high level villain like ultron is just one of those he just he's just a big scary robot that is you know more intelligent than probably any human and he just felt like like the perfect capstone so um all three of those villains came about really 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 early in the process and um, we, we, we chose them because of their kind of tiered nature, but we also chose them because to a certain extent, they're a little disparate from each other. And we wanted to kind of show that we, we do have the scope of the Marvel universe. We're not just focusing on, on one team or one event. We can kind of pull from, from everything. So sort of pulling like the Spider-Man villain and then this Black Panther villain and then this Iron Man villain, um, kind of let us uh let us do that so uh, one of my last questions uh when playing at nova as soon as you beat like the level one villain and then you get the level two villain ready uh, the first time you realize how much health that character has and all the terrible things that are happening uh, everyone's jaw drops and you feel really bad because it, you're <laughs> like you're like yes we beat him it's like no no hold on there's there's a second part and you're like wait what oh 60 health what wait what uh, was that a purposeful design? Because like, as you're playing that first level, you're like, you're getting excited. Everything's going your way. You beat him. And then he comes back. And you're like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, we, um, it, it took us a little bit of time to get to the point where we decided to have the kind of the multiple stages of the villain deck. Um, one of the, the main reasons that we chose that was because if you're able 
to knock out that first version of the villain, that means that you're doing well. And having the villain sort of be able to sort of pop back up after that is just sort of a, a, a correction mechanic. It's not like you're just going to go um, um, and like waylay the villain and there's nothing they can do to you. Like they have this opportunity to sort of like surge back up and, and, and fight back. Um, so it partially came from that. It partially just came from that moment that you talked about of like, oh, yeah, we're doing really well. And then all of a sudden the the villain just kind of turns the situation on its head. I've seen a lot of people lose games to Rhino before because they sort of get a little cocky on that first version. And they're like, ah, this is fine. And the second one comes out, he puts in a side scheme. He starts hitting harder. He starts doing all this thing. And then suddenly it's like, oh, I don't know if we're actually going to come out on top. And that that felt very Marvel to us. There's a lot of times where the heroes are kind of pushing ahead. They think they've got it. And then all of a sudden, you know, some sort of evil plan comes to fruition or some minions come in to help or, you know, something like that. Um, so it, it was sort of those two things that made that feature stand out to us and, and you know, made us want to, to put it in the game. I will also admit that early on in playtesting, Jeremy's Wern, being the the phenomenal card game player that he is, was able to like one shot the villain <laughs> in like, the <laughs> second turn. So we were like, eh, maybe we shouldn't. Like we 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 changed a lot of things so that he couldn't do that. But um, that was one of those. I think it, it kind of created this moment of uh, maybe we should talk about ways to prevent someone like Jeremy from doing that. So I've never seen that since. That's sort of a fluke, and I don't think that'll ever come back up. But it was a very surprising moment. That does not surprise me one bit that he would figure <laughs> figure a way out to break the game. Yeah, no, he's he's great for that. Jeremy's a, an amazing play tester. When when he sits down and plays something, like you know, he's going to do it the best way, the most optimal way every single time. It's really impressive to watch. Awesome. So to round out this interview, we wanted to ask you some kind of rapid fire, couple rule interaction questions. Um, most of the players know, like, an RRG is coming. Um, some of these questions are going to be a little soft because not all of our fans are as familiar with everything, so you got to establish some baselines. And, you know, like, this content's for everybody. We're not only going to ask, like, the most convoluted brain teasers, but, uh, yeah, we got a few prepared for you, um, and we appreciate you answering some of these questions. Uh, trickier situations so spider-man is seems to be somewhat of a confusing character for the community kind of how spider sense works so um i guess i'll try to contextualize these a little bit together but um it's been revealed that uh the attack has to initiate upon spider-man that's the keyword is that he has to be the first target so if spider-man jumps in front of another player uh, to defend for them um he does not draw that is correct uh, yes that is correct so so the way his ability is wording I, I believe it's like um when an attack is initiated against you or when the villain initiates an attack against you uh that that initiated word that is that's the specific uh, moment. So it's like when the villain turns on their attack, when they say, I'm going to attack you, you are my target, that's when his ability triggers. Um, before boost cards, before anything like that. So villain says he's going to attack Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man draws their card, and then if an ally jumps in front of the way, if another player defends, totally fine, Spider-Man's already got their card. If it's the reverse situation and the villain's like, oh, I'm going to attack She-Hulk, and Spider-Man's like, ah, I'm going to jump in the way, by the time Spider-Man jumps in the way, he's already missed that window of opportunity to draw because he wasn't the, the original target of the attack. It wasn't initiated against him. So then to follow this up quickly, um, I believe there's a card called Assault. It's got Venom on it, and it causes another attack. Is that an initiation? No. Yeah, yeah, that is. It's just any time the villain says, I'm going to attack you specifically, Spider-Man, he's, he's starting that attack. It's just the beginning of an attack sequence, basically. And so in the case of Assault, yes, Spider-Man would, would draw a card. Here's one of the more kind of uh, convoluted ones that I found, but I thought was really interesting. So in the leadership aspect, uh, there's a card called Make the Call, where it, it itself is a zero-cost card that allows you to play an ally from somebody's discard pile. And what we're curious about is if you use power of leadership um, to pay for the resource trigger, um, 
during make the call, does power of leadership generate two resources or would that only happen if the ally that you are targeting is also a leadership ally? It only happens if the ally you're targeting is a leadership ally. So make the call uh, effectively redirects you to that card. It says pay the printed cost of the card. Um, it's telling you, hey, look at that card. What's on that card? What's the information there? Um, and obviously you have to pay that value. But if that card also happens to be leadership, cool, the power of leadership is going to double up and do two resources. But if that card were, say, aggression or, or basic, um, then... It, the power of leadership would only generate one resource. Cool. And that makes sense because like po- uh, make the call is free. So there really isn't even an opportunity for a resource trigger for itself to have happened. Awesome. Thank you for that. A card that's uh, come up a lot with my friends specifically that I've talked about with this game Um no one really seems to understand how webbed up works. <laughs> Everyone has their own interpretation. I actually have to give a shout out to my buddy on Discord who I've talked heavily about this game with. His name is Snake. And he is convinced that webbed up prevents two attacks. I am not as convinced that that's how that card is worded. Can you clarify for us? <laughs> you said your buddy's name was Snake? That's how I know him on the internet. You know, one of your internet friends, like, uh, uh, yeah. Well, Snake, you are correct. Wow. It prevents two attacks. So webbed up, you put it on the the villain. Uh, The villain tries to attack. Webbed up says that you uh, put a stun token on the villain instead. So they're trying to attack, but anytime something says instead, you just replace whatever that specific sequence is with this new thing. And the thing that you're replacing it with is the process of putting the stun token. So now the villain has a stun token on top of them, webbed up, prevented that attack. Then the next time the villain goes to try to attack again, the stun token is going to be there, so it'll prevent that second attack. Okay. The the piece I was missing, everybody, and I'm willing to admit it, is just I didn't realize that it was fully replacing the attack trigger. That's, that's really cool. Um, so then one follow-up to this then is if the target is already stunned would that be spent before webbed up or like how is that decided yeah so any sort of uh status card they always have priority over over pretty much everything else um and so anytime there's any sort of conflict there between an ability and a, a status card status card takes precedence so if you got a webbed up on a stunned villain the villain tries to attack the stun fires off uh, and prevents that attack then the next attack the webbed up would happen and then the third attack the next stun would happen so you could just oh you know, wow yeah permalock the villain if, if, you, if you're lucky enough so um yeah, yeah, those those status cards are always always first in priority. That's great because that's really in service to the players, and that's obviously how we all wanted it to work. So that's really cool. And then just for one quick clarification, you can't stack stuns, right, or statuses in general. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's only one one uh, status of a specific type per character. Thank you so much. And Snake, you win this time. all right we have one more um this is another uh sort of gameplay state question that um you know one thing i want to remind our listeners is like you really have to be careful uh when you compare your experiences between games even games made by the same company because the rules don't always work the same way even if it's like oh, you know, FFG has made 10 games and nine games do it this way. It doesn't mean game 10 does it this way. So you always have to be careful, you know, like uh, making making judgments just based on past behavior and pedigree. And so one of the things is uh, how equipping new upgrades for some characters increases their maximum health. Uh, I will use Iron Man as an example because his rocket boots each give him one health and his chest piece is in six and um just to clarify first upon uh, equipping those pieces of gear not only does he gain health but he like effectively heal isn't the right word but if you put rocket boots on you're at nine you go to ten you don't have ten and you have to just heal up to it to get the full value correct yeah yeah so whenever you you uh 
get plus, you know, X hit points. Um, effectively, your dial just moves up in total, both the maximum value that you can go to, but also whatever the current value is on your dial. So then um, the question to follow this up with is, is let's say I am Iron Man and I am at one health, I have a pair of rocket boots on and an encounter card causes me to lose rocket boots. Do I die? You do. You would be knocked out. Wow. That's, that's intense and interesting. And, uh, <laughs> and that's one of those things where um, a lot of people have said like, no, it's a cap thing. And like a lot of games, you know, adjust your cap, but I think this makes sense. And yeah, like, I regret using the word die, but it made sense that, you know, like Iron Man would be knocked out if he like lost the piece that was keeping him in the battle, which happens to him a lot. It's very Iron Man. So I actually think that's a really uh, cool ruling and makes some of those decisions and high impact moments of getting your uh, equipment shredded uh, even that much more interesting. So uh, very cool. So I want to thank you so much for answering our huge uh, battery of questions. Um, All that's left that I want to ask finally is that do you have any questions for us? Oh man. Um, why are you guys so awesome? <laughs> Wait, how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess let me recontextualize. What made you, cause again, you reached out to us like almost an hour after the episode was aired. Like, you know, what brought you here? Cause we're again, very honored to have you with us. And we just want to know, what it is that stood out about our show. Sure. I, I think, um, you know, from, from what I heard, you guys are, are doing a great job. I like how you sort of, uh, you focus on the rules and mechanics, but uh, I felt like you presented things in a way that um, was good for newer players, less experienced players. That is very much the audience that we are trying to appeal to. We want this game to be something that you can, you know, you, you can sit down with, um, your, your family member that maybe doesn't play a lot of games or your, your friend who hasn't played a game in a long time, or, you know, even maybe some families can sit down and play together. The, the mom and the dad and the, the children can all play together. Um, we want this to be a pretty open experience for, for people to come into. And I, I liked how you guys were able to sort of blend the uh, mechanical technical stuff with sort of this, you know, very clear explanation and just, just talking about the experience and just a very kind of simple and, and easy to parse way. So um, that's that's a philosophy that we're always sort of uh, looking to, to capitalize upon. So it was, it was nice to sort of hear that in a podcast. Um, and I, I also, I really enjoy being part of the community. I know a lot of people love interviews where the designers can come on and, and talk about the decisions and stuff. A lot of people are curious about that. And I think that, um, you know, as, as designers, cause I, I know Caleb Grace feels very similarly as designers, we want people to feel like this is a game that they can jump into, that this is a game that, um, you know, is, is being worked on by, by people who are, who are fans and who really care about the experience. And the more we can kind of come on to, to podcasts like this and, and talk about those things, I think it's just, it's better for the community overall and it's better for us as well. Wow. That was such a great answer. <laughs> all, of your, all of your answers have been just uh, really, really illuminating. And uh, I knew that this was going to be a, a great podcast, but I just want to thank you again personally for for uh, just being such a, a great guest. Thanks. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I actually spent the entire morning practicing. So I'm really happy you guys asked <laughs> all the questions I needed you to ask. It would have thrown me off otherwise. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm glad I was able to come on and I, I really appreciate our questions. I, I felt like they were very thoughtful and, and, and interesting. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you letting me be here. Yeah. And as someone who's played the game, um, there, there's a lot to unpack and uh, unfortunately we really don't have the time, but, um, yeah, I, I've been playing card games for almost 20 years and this, this one's unique. It's a very interesting experience. Um, I think I must have played 10 or 12 games at Nova and every single time was different. Uh, every single player had a different interpretation and a different experience level and winning or losing 90% of the time, there was a smile on people's faces. Uh, other 
the the time where Rhino got charge and the stupid thing that blocks five damage, and then he attacked three times in a row and just blew us out of the water. <laughs> uh, other than that, it was just like, man, this is a really, really very it's, it's, i don't know there's so many words for it it's a good game it's a lot of fun and uh, i appreciate the hard work you guys put in because you can tell once you get your hands on this product um you know for those of you who haven't played it i know i'm talking from experience that you may or may not have but once you've got this at your table and you play it two or three times um there, there's a lot of heart and there's a lot of head like mind put into this game like it's it's it rewards people for just having a good time and I, that's so rare and i uh I really appreciated that a lot. That's good. That's really good to hear. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks again, Michael. And hopefully in the future, we will have you join us again and answer even more questions. So look forward to that. And uh, we just want to thank you. Uh, This has been No Responsibility Podcast. Always remember, we have no powers. We have no ego. Most importantly, we have no responsibility. Thank you all.